everyone. Welcome to this roundup. In pursuit of automation-driven efficiencies, the rapidly evolving artificial intelligence techniques such as neural networks, machine learning systems, predictive analytics, speech recognition, natural language processing, and more are now routinely used for translation, behavior modeling, robotic control, risk management, decision making, and so many other applications. As decision utilities like artificial intelligence are becoming more popular and more accessible, intelligent algorithms are now rapidly becoming prevalent in most, if not all, aspects of human decision making. While decision utilities like AI, that means artificial intelligence algorithms, have been in use for so many years, there are rising concerns about the general lack of understanding of the different types of algorithms and the way that they are used in decision making. Ensuring integrity, transparency, and trust of algorithmic decision making is therefore becoming a complex challenge, particularly for machine learning and self-adaptive systems. The question today for humanity to evaluate is whether algorithms are and will remain an aid to human decision making process or whether they will become the ultimate decision makers. And if AI becomes a decision maker, can we use AI to make decisions without losing out on some of the aspects of decision making that are so very important to humans like transparency, consistency, accuracy, improvement, adaptability, and speed? To discuss the trends, the current state, and the complex challenges of AI-based decision making, I'm delighted to welcome Professor Dr. Steve Amahandro to this roundup. Steve is a globally recognized scientist developing the next generation of artificial intelligence and is currently president at Possibility Research. Steve has an exemplary innovation record. He is an award-winning professor who has designed the first data parallel language, Starlisp. He co-founded the Center for Complex Systems Research, wrote the 3D graphics for Mathematica, developed fast neural data structures like ball trees, designed the fastest and safest object-oriented language, and uh, co-created the first neural focus of attention systems, co-designed the best leap reading system, invented model merging for fast one-shot learning, co-designed the best stochastic grammar learning system, co-created the first Bayesian image search engine Pinhunter, invented self-improving AI, discovered the basic AI drives, and proposed many of the basic AI safety mechanisms, including AI smart contracts, and so much more. He's based in the United States. Welcome, Steve. We are so very honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Wonderful, Steve. So as we witness the rise of these algorithms in decision-making, as a scientist developing the next generation of artificial intelligence, what are your thoughts on humanity's growing dependence on artificial intelligence for decision making? Yeah, I think it, it's almost a tsunami that's coming. There's huge economic impact. Uh, I've just been reading a, a, a UN study uh, that McKinsey did of what the likely economic impact, particularly of deep learning AI systems will be. And they're estimating $70 trillion between now and 2030, which compares to the entire GDP of the United States is about $19 trillion. So it's just a massive, massive economic impact, which is leading to lots and lots of investment, which is leading to these systems being integrated into everything. And in some sense, it's sort of being driven on its own momentum. And I think one of the things both you and I are concerned about is how do we make sure that it serves true human interests and leads to an outcome that we really want? 
Yes, very true. That is that is and that should be the key because when we are trying to redesign and redefine everything, we want to first ask the fundamental question, why are we doing this? Is it to help humanity? Is it to make uh, humanities, uh, you know, sec uh, sustainable, secure and uh, what are the things that we are trying to achieve because it's just there are so many ideas and innovations and technology we don't want to go after everything if it doesn't make sense that it's going to help us it's going to you know make a humanity's life better and humans you know as a society's life better so as we see it seems artificial intelligence will become universal in most if not all aspects of decision making in the foreseeable future as you know we see the trends and as we see the reports coming out where you know all different ai applications are emerging for decision making so while there are many different types of algorithms with differing functions how important is algorithmic engineering process if we are evaluating the ai decision making yeah totally i mean the current sort of prominent AI technique is called deep learning. And you build systems very, very coarsely with human engineering. And then you use lots and lots of data to train these big neural nets. And they work. They work amazingly well, except that you can't really tell how they're going to perform in unexpected situations. So I was just in a, a funny uh, radio interview from a, an autonomous car driving around Silicon Valley, sort of an art project. And the car was doing well driving in the different lanes. And yet, you know, there's, there's smoke in the air because of the fires uh, that are north of here. And there was some uncertainty. Does this autonomous car know about fire? Does it know about smoke? What would it do if it came across a burning bush? It's probably never been trained on that. And so not only do we want these systems to work, we want to have confidence that they'll work in all the circumstances that they're going to face. Very true, very true. And that's where, you know, we have to make sure that it understands all possible scenarios, like you just said, that they could, you know, come across and they are intelligent enough or they can adapt, you know, in a very quick manner to be able to come up with some sensible answers or how they should react in those scenarios. And as we see autonomous cars, that's going to become so important because, you know, as the cars drive on its own and how will they decide when to stop and not to stop and uh, what, uh, you know, which human being, you know, they can uh, probably ignore or if they can ignore human beings or what kind of accident it should prevent. So it's a very complex, you know, scenarios that will emerge for uh, the AI to take decisions. And now this machine learning model is not a static piece of code and we are constantly feeding it data, right? So we are constantly updating the models and learning and adding more data and learning and fine tuning how we are going to make those predictions. So for AI, it's now becoming almost like a living, breathing thing because it's not a static one-time thing. It's dynamic and it gets fed so much more information, so much more data. So while it is computer engineering, isn't this a different kind of engineering? It is, totally. One funny thing is that if there are bugs in machine learning code, oftentimes the systems will still pretty much work because the learning algorithm will learn around the bugs. We had that a student of mine uh, built a robot system with a camera that watched the robot arm move around and it was supposed to you know move the arm learn to move the arm to a certain place and it worked but about halfway through we discovered oh the camera that we were using had autofocus and so 
the arm moving changed the focus of the camera. And so the geometry of the image was totally goofy. And the learning system very happily worked around that. And when we finally incorporated it, it worked a lot better. But it's like debugging. A normal software activity is you write a program, you know, it doesn't quite do what you thought it should, and you have to debug it. A machine learning system is much harder to debug because it's hard to tell when it's when it's failing. <laughs> yes, very true. And as algorithms get treated, not as these inanimate lines of code, but as these things with accountability and responsibility, what is the key to making them to work to get the outcomes we humans want with this built-in accountability and responsibility? Because like you said, that if uh, these uh, models are not performing, we would not know that they are failing, right? It's very difficult to know that these uh, machine learning algorithms, that there are challenges happening. So unless we see the results, we won't be able to know whether they are you know, doing the job that they're supposed to do or whether they're failing. So how do we make sure that we get the outcomes that we want and we built in this accountability and responsibility in the algorithms? Is there any way that we can do that? Yeah, you know, if you look at the history of AI, the, the term artificial intelligence was introduced in the mid-1950s, and there were two approaches that uh, sometimes that people would call them the neats and the scruffies. And the neats had the idea that what uh, thinking is, is it's like mathematical logic, it's like proving a theorem, and that knowledge should be encoded in precise mathematical semantics. The other approach, that's the neats, the scruffies felt like, no, that's not how brains work at all. Brains are a bunch of neurons thrown together. They have some adaptive self-learning technique and they'll self-organize into something intelligent. And there was a sort of a pendulum that swang back and forth between those two. Like in the 80s, I remember, that's when I began studying artificial intelligence. There was the fifth generation project that uh, Japan was pushing. The language prologue was a logic language, it was very, very popular. And expert systems were, you know, the, the AI systems that were being used to model business processes. And they were all very precise and you had special rules and you encoded the knowledge in a precise form. You knew exactly what it meant, exactly what it was gonna do. And those systems did certain things, but they didn't scale very well. And so that's why the fifth generation, the Japanese fifth generation project sort of fell apart and AI went through an AI winter where, oh, that field's never going anywhere, it's not working. And then the other side, the, the scruffies, the neural net people, Back in the 80s, they were building little teeny neural nets, uh, teeny from today's standards, but at the time that was using a lot of the compute power, and they were starting to work. Like a friend of mine built this system uh, that played backgammon, and it was beat the world backgammon champion. So that was sort of exciting. And around 2012, computers got big enough and training sets got big enough that those early neural nets could suddenly be made much bigger, much deeper. Like back then, they were like three layers of neurons. T today, they're typically 10 layers or 100 layers, and they started solving all kinds of problems, uh, language translation, image recognition, various tasks that had been very challenging in the past. Suddenly, these big neural nets were doing great. And so that generated a massive amount of investment and excitement, which is what we're in the middle of right now. But it's all on the scruffy side. And so you have these systems where God only knows how it's doing what it's doing. And is it really going to behave properly? There's something called adversarial examples, which are you have a system that can say, distinguish between dogs and cats. And it's 100%. You look at any YouTube picture of a dog, it says dog. Any YouTube picture of a cat, it's cat. Everything's great. But then it turns out you can find very, very teeny changes to a, a cat image. 
present it to it and it'll say that's a dog 100% that's a dog and so this is a very disturbing thing if we really want to use these networks in real world situations you don't want them behaving in an erratic way so my own personal research is in bringing these two threads together the um the scruffy neural net crazy wild learning systems with a more precise mathematically very very precise semantics that we get from the other approach to ai i think we need both of them i think our governance systems we need to you know encode laws in a way that we know exactly what the law means and yet we need to have systems which learn from their experiences and adapt to the situation so by bringing the best of both of those i think we'll come to something which really fits into human society better oh that is uh, that would be so welcoming we need something like that because all these technology revolutions are driven not just by discovery of uh, any technology or any idea or innovation but also by this business and societal need and do you see that uh, the way we are approaching this ai based decision making and how rapidly it's being implemented across industries and across nations you know that there are this gaps in this human decision making process that ai can fill why why do you see that there is such a rush into the way you know all these industries are applying these ai based decision making algorithms do you see the genuine societal needs that we are going after or this is just technology craze that will die away you know uh, probably in the in the coming years I think there is going to happen in three phases and I think the phase we're in right now I sometimes call uh the AI AI business which is uh, people who are currently running businesses are seeing this new technology and they're finding the low hanging fruit which is ways to automate some aspect of their business to make it more efficient and that gives immediate economic returns so there's tremendous incentive any manager who can you know bring in a robot to do a job and save money is going to get promoted is going to do well so so all the businesses are doing that for the simple things to automate and so i think we're going to see a lot of that i think we're maybe halfway through that process something like that the second wave i think is ai military um every a country on the planet is their militaries all realize ai is coming they were you know they're working on autonomous drones autonomous boats autonomous vehicles you know better robot soldiers and they're competing with one another and they realize if we don't move ahead then some other country is going to move ahead i mean vladimir putin re recently said you know the country that uh, moves ahead fastest in ai is going to dominate the world so there's that kind of arms race there and then i think longer term we have what i call the ai society which is where all aspects of society in particular the legal system the governance system the uh functioning of the economic system we we were talking a little earlier about that all of that is going to be codified in a digital form and ai systems are going to at least work with humans in a way to make those systems work better and so all three of those phases i think have wonderful potential positive potential for humanity they also have a number of challenges and risks and one of the things that's tricky is that they're all driven by competition which tends to push things to go faster and faster and so issues of risk which i know is your big uh, uh, area of study and security often get pushed to the sidelines until they're shown to be really necessary and important so yeah. we're moving headlong into building these things but it's not clear that we're really building them with the full awareness of some of the risks i think yes very true because there is like you said there is an arms race and you know when the nations uh, start uh, 
having this mentality, the decision makers that, you know, whoever wins this AI race is going to control the world. There are so many countries who want to control the world. You know, I mean, uh, China and uh, Russia and uh, then United States feels threatened. And, you know, as we see the development happening in China, there is uh, the initiatives that are emerging from there. They are just mind boggling. So there is a lot of competition. So how, of course, you know, security and risk, nobody is going to pay attention at that time. And as we try to develop this post-quantum distributed decentralized economy that is secure against even the most powerful AIs, the recent hacks and cyber attacks, we are seeing that, you know, that current computational infrastructure is regrettably inadequate for the security challenge. So security is on the sidelines and... uh, we do need to, scientists like you need to come up with a new computing software infrastructure that is not only mathematically correct, adaptable, has human goals, but is also secure. Do you see any development happening by the scientists at the you know in architecture level where they come up with the algorithms that can make the this AI itself secure from the you know uh, very foundation that we don't have to worry about the security and risk as a you know uh, separate uh, process that it is in an inbuilt you know security tool do you see anything happening like that oh i totally agree it's a critical issue i mean today's internet infrastructure is just terrible i mean a lot of the hacks and cybersecurity issues are teenagers right some teenager in moldovia figures out a way to hack into you know the latest intel chip and uses that to mine cryptocurrency something like that if today's infrastructure were faced with very sophisticated ai cyber attacks I think it would be extremely vulnerable. And so that issue, I think, is going to come to the fore. There are a number of people interested in that and working on that. Um, the, the cryptocurrencies are sort of an interesting little experimental Petri dish where people are trying to build cryptographically secure networks and interaction systems. And they have a lot of flaws, as we, we were talking a little bit earlier. And yet um, there's some wonderful good ideas that are coming out of that too. And so I see there's a lot of development there. I don't think they've reached the solutions that we really need. Um, but, you know, the issues go all the way through our, our technology stack. You know, it's just coming out that uh, the most commonly used processor chips are vulnerable to a whole range of um, security issues. You know, we have Meltdown and Spectre, and even our memory chips, uh, there's what's called Rowhammer, which is if you access the memory chips in a certain way, you can flip bits and then that breaks their security. And then our, our processor infrastructures, they have hidden control processors, which are themselves vulnerable. And then our internet network, that's vulnerable. And our operating systems are vulnerable. And our programming languages tend to encourage, you know, bad programming habits. So I think our whole infrastructure needs to be tuned up with security and risk management in mind. Fortunately, I think AI will help with that, that um, the current AI approaches probably aren't much of a help. But if the what I was talking about earlier, if we really bring in some of the more mathematical logic where you can have provably correct programs, provable models of security models of what's going on, then I think we can use the AI to help us design a successor infrastructure that will be very, very secure. Of course, the political process of doing that is part of the challenge. And so it's both a technological problem and a social problem, I think. Yes, political risk is always going to be the biggest challenge. But see, here there is so much at... uh 
stake because this technological advances that we are seeing right now is not the first time the humanity or human race is, you know, uh, has gone through or achieved those kind of, you know, advantages or they have made that much progress. I mean, civilization, uh, we see so many civilizations that destroyed themselves, you know, after, you know, developing some really breakthrough uh, technologies. And I read somewhere that there were, there have been at least 27 different species of humans of which we are the only survivors. And we survived because we found ways to limit our individual drives and to work together cooperatively and collectively looking at, you know, what is better for the entire humanity. So right now when we see all this competition uh, threatening the survival and security of humanity itself that this is you know while ai is uh, giving us a lot of potential and tools uh, in which we can manage a lot of you know challenges but it also brings us very complex security risks. so i hope that you know everyone each component of a nation and the entire nations all nations are able to work together to solve the challenges facing humanity and not just kill them, you know, or end up, you know, in uh, this AI warfare and, you know, destroy humanity at some point. But anyway, it seems your efforts are towards developing this smart scientific community for computing, for smart learning and smart decision making. So what are the gaps in the current computing and algorithmic system environment that you see that your initiative will be able to overcome? Um, I see a lot of problems with the current infrastructure. Uh, I've done a fair amount with programming languages, which, you know, a programming language is something which takes a human idea, some intention that we'd like to have happen in the world, and translates that into operations that can control a digital piece of machinery to do that. And um, early on, the early models like Alan Turing and um, uh, Church, some of the early, early people thinking about the, the problem of programming computers develop beautiful mathematical structures for that. And the languages that we have ended up with, like Lisp was an early one, uh, which was developed based on something called the Lambda calculus. Fortran was an early one that sort of was a slightly human readable version of the machine code. And then later developments like C was, you know, a programming language for the Unix operating system you know, it was pretty good for 1970, and yet it's still number one or number two programming language. And so it's like, and it has a lot of uh, structures that we now know are pretty flawed in that they encourage human programmers to write things that, that tend to have bugs in them. And the modern incarnation of that C++ is this monumental behemoth, which now has a, a the manual is a thousand pages. And I don't think anybody, but maybe the creator of the language really understands how all those pieces interact. So it's really terrible for uh, the construction of uh, software artifacts that really have high precision and we have guarantee, you know, high confidence that they're going to work the way we want. And so I I think an entirely different approach to languages will be necessary that integrate artificial intelligence in them so that the system does a lot more of the busy work that people are not very good at. And so that a human can express the desired uh, outcome and behavior and the AI can help ensure that the behavior of the system really, really manages that. I think that's where we need to end up uh, as sort of a human AI uh, cooperation or collaboration. Yes, and I that, think that would be very essential. You know, we have to uh, 
merge the human intelligence with the computational intelligence for if we want to you know make the progress and if we want to go towards uh, exploring space and you know beyond because that kind of uh, integration would be essential but as you develop this new kind of intelligent computing to better meet the human needs how do you see it operate with the current computing models i mean we will uh, will we need to entirely change everything you know the the computing foundation of everything or it will be able to integrate with the current computing models that's a really good question i um uh, I, I developed a programming language called Sather uh, a number of decades ago that was intended to be a very efficient, very tight, easy to program in uh, language that would uh, rev revitalize, um, you know, that basically would have a library implementing all the basic algorithms and that uh, people could very easily put together very efficient and correct software. And I totally underestimated the political challenges in doing that, that uh, people all wanted to change the language and add features. And, you know, this group over here, they didn't get credit if they used the language the way it was. And so they made their own version. And so all sorts of political issues arise in getting new technology like that to be adopted. And so I now realize that that process is very, very, very challenging with a lot of uh, con conflicting interests involved in it. I think the way it's going to go, I mean, if I'm right that, you know, already today, uh, every week we see a new security issues with current um, software, current hardware, and our current networking infrastructure. And even, you know, uh, banking, um, a lot of Internet of Things devices, all of them seem to be quite vulnerable. And um, that's just not sustainable. And so if a company came along with a new kind of software that was really, really solid and was able to prove itself, I think more and more people would adopt that technology and that technology would spread from there. And so I don't really see it as a possibility of a top-down decree, you know, this is the programming language for the future, this is the AI system. It's going to have to come from sort of grassroots, bottom-up, and based on, on the quality, on demonstrated uh, performance, uh, avoiding a lot of the issues that the other systems have. And as AI cyber attackers arise, I think that's going to expose the vulnerabilities of many of today's systems. And so there's going to be a kind of a crisis, I believe. I mean, we're already in a kind of a security crisis um, where, where lots and lots of systems today are quite vulnerable. Yes, they are quite vulnerable. But uh, now, you know, uh, these, as we talked before, that these are not static systems, you know, because we continuously feed new data and new, you know, uh, information to these algorithms. So this, and as we see that, you know, as everything and uh, anything gets, uh, is getting digitized now, you know, the increased volume and velocity in the accumulation of this digital data, it means that, you know, it's very overwhelming for, all decision makers to effectively use algorithms in AI to help make decisions irrespective of whether these are strategic decisions or tactical. So what role dynamic growing data plays in how these algorithms are structured for the accuracy of the AI decisions? Do you see that uh, the current algorithms are uh, structured in a way that uh, can maintain the accuracy of the AI decisions in irrespective of, you know, how much more data it continuously get fed. Well, I think dealing with large amounts of data is one of the challenges of the time. And it's about to get way, way worse because, you know, if you go to Alibaba, you can get a cell phone camera and cell phone cameras are pretty good for about a dollar a piece. 
And so that means uh, cameras are very, very cheap and they're going to start being put everywhere, uh, particularly cities. Uh, I'm working with um, uh, the, the AI brain company that I'm advising. Uh, there's a, a city in Switzerland called uh, St. Gallen that is, wants to be the first AI experienced city and that's going to involve cameras everywhere. It's going to involve sensing. It's going to keeping track of, you know, how cars are moving, how pedestrians are moving so that the city can adapt itself for to better human needs. But that's going to require massive amounts of data. And so, first of all, you need the compute infrastructure that can handle all of that data. And uh, the current popular AI algorithms, the deep learning algorithms, they're using whole data centers for some of these, like the system that uh, beat Go, uh, AlphaGo, a very impressive, very amazing system. They used massive amounts of computing. And so I think we're going to see a demand for much higher bandwidth communication to transfer particularly video, all kinds. You know, if you have video of every piece of a city, that's a vast amount of data. Um, and then, so data becomes part of the value and the currency that a company or an, a society has uh, that helps it, it helps enable it to make better decisions. But um, it becomes a, a very heavy burden in itself. And, and so technologies which help us use that data, help us compute with it, I think are going to become more and more important. There's also the issue of what about privacy? What about data that tends to skew outcomes? You know, if a computer is making a decision, uh, you can say, oh, the computer did it. It's not my fault. Let's say it makes a racist decision or let's say it, uh, you know, is biased in one way or another. And so managing to ensure that the values we really want to be expressed are incorporated while we're also including this vast amount of data, I think that's one of the challenges that we're facing. Yes, absolutely. And biased algorithms is a you know whole another topic. There is so much that needs to be talked about that, but we won't be able to address that fully in this uh, you know session of Risk Rounder because there's so much, so much, so much uh, bias you know emerging in so many algorithms, and we just don't have the uh, way of identifying uh, which algorithms are biased or you know what to do about it if they are biased. Whether you know there are any laws to protect the people who are getting impacted by that. So there's a lot of complex challenges emerging from that, but. Like you said that, you know, there are so there's so much data that is being generated and irrespective of the nature of the data or sources of data, the question is whether AI will be able to give consistent decision or different decision based on the different scenarios or data variables or the form of data because uh, there are so many different, uh, you know, ways the digital data is being, you know, uh, created. So is the how the data is being created, is that uh, different, you know, a variable to this AI algorithm? So how does this computing environment embed the fluidity in data in these decision-making algorithms? Because there are so many sources of data and so many formats of data and so much data. Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's I think, an argument for having very principled AI techniques. Back in the 1980s, um, today, most people in AI, I think, view probability as a sort of foundation, foundational representation of uncertainty, and Bayesian methods are the techniques for, for inferring information from data. But back in the 1980s, it wasn't so clear that was the thing. There was a whole line of people doing something called certainty factors, 
which was a different form of representation that worked great on small examples. But once you started chaining multiple examples, the parts that were non-probabilistic about that started giving very inaccurate and, and bad results. And so having a solid semantic foundation on which your AI systems make their decisions, I think becomes ever more important as you deal with more complex problems and with much more complex data sets. And so that's another reason why today's neural nets, some of them are not very principled in their structure. And so uh, for, for things that really matter, say in the medical field, uh, I would much prefer to have something which is more Bayesianly, like Bayesian networks as an example, where there's a precise meaning for each number. You know, a number represents the probability that you have a certain disease or that this uh, uh, drug will actually intervene in a certain way. Whereas in a deep learning neural net, you just have some neural weight and some neural activity that may or not may or may not mean anything. And so, so having true semantics, I think, is one uh, way to manage uh, the complexity of data. Yes, very true. That's a good point. Now, well, we are trying to connect this data and uh, drive productivity or efficiency and innovation. Do you see a need for careful monitoring of the use of algorithms? Because at this point, we just don't have any governance structure for these algorithms. There are so many different kinds of algorithms and so it's uh, created by both public as well as private entities. So uh, there is, we just, and then decisions, the private entities create algorithms and they are used by public agencies to, you know, uh, take decisions on uh, sometimes, you know, who gets uh, food stamps or sometimes, you know, who will get parole, you know, from the jail or, you know, all or which students will get admission so, or benefits, you know, who will get benefits, what kind of benefits they'll get. So when there is such a blurring boundaries between public and private algorithms and public and private use, and uh, lack of any infrastructure or lack of any governance model that will make sure that you know there is integrity in the algorithms or that there is an oversight that there is no bias occurring and that you know there is an effective way of governing this ai based intelligence because we have a sort of you know uh, you know a structure that manages this uh, human intelligence or human efforts or human initiatives but we don't have and when we have this uh, sorry when we have this uh, structures where now the ai are able to create itself autonomous organizations and we don't have any governing model or governing structure then we we are seeing you know very different very complex kind of challenges that are emerging and coming our way so do you see this need for the governing of algorithms and are there any efforts or initiatives that are working towards that? Well, it's interesting. Different societies seem to be responding in different ways. Europe has put a lot of emphasis, for example, on privacy and they have these new laws about the right to be forgotten. And that's creating a big uh, challenge for companies like Google, which have you know a lot of data around somebody and they now have to be able to delete somebody's information if somebody wants that. Um, they seem to so far be focusing more on the data itself than they do on the algorithms which allow you to extract information from that. China seems to be going completely the opposite direction. Uh, they have the social credit system where they uh, have face recognition throughout China and uh, recognizing like who's in an airport, who's in a uh, train station. And 
they rate the behaviors of people as to whether they are uh, positive for the Chinese society or negative. That's your social credit score. And if your score is low, uh, you suddenly, you know, don't get the, the as good a seat on the airplane or, you know, you, 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 there are consequences. And so China seems to be going all in in the idea that you should be able to use this data and the information that's extracted from it uh, as a way to sort of guide society in a direction that they feel is positive, whereas uh, other society, whereas Europe feels much more skittish and nervous about um, uh, the misuse of data. And then I think the uh, United States is sort of in between those two um, in that we're a little bit nervous about, you know, bias creeping into systems that are based on, on uh, machine learning, but we're, we don't quite have the privacy concerns that Europe does. And so yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. It is, it is going to be very interesting because as you see, you know, irrespective of we are talking about blockchain or artificial intelligence or facial recognition technology, there are all these efforts and initiatives are towards controlling, you know, human behavior. If you see in blockchain, this, you know, incentive system, the token that, you know, if you perform certain things that you will get these, you know, uh, incentive, you know, that, uh, and you will be able to uh, get the token for the effort, you know, for doing the work. And uh, if you see the facial recognition, like you just described that, you know, if you are, um, doing you know the social credit system then if the more you know you have the better you know credit score you have that you will have privileges and same for the you know ai so there are there is all these emerging technologies are sort of you know moving towards rewarding the good human behavior and uh, punishing the human behavior that is uh, not uh, that the governance, you know, the current governance model thinks that is not good for the society. So it's very interesting to see how they go forward. But you are right that, you know, Europe is focused only on uh, protecting the data, raw data itself, but they are not focused on what these data uh, applications, how they are emerging and what kind of impact it will have on the society. So it's going to be very challenging how each of these nations, I mean, at this point, they are all working in silos, but it would be there would be a need that you know all of them come together to come up with some collective you know guidelines collective standards or collective vision about where we want to how we want to use these emerging technologies not only just ai but blockchain and you know all these other you know gene editing technologies and so many other you know synthetic biology and uh, uh, technologies and uh, virtual reality of you know and all those things that are coming over with drones and uh, satellite you know initiatives so there are there is going to be a very interesting time in how the decision to see how the existing decision makers are working towards you know creating a structure that would uh, uh, you know unite all the you know nations unite the human society and you know work towards the benefit of humanity but as organizations increase the rise of data and the efficiency of algorithms depends on data the transparency of the data on which the algorithmic decisions are being made is so very critical to ensure accountability now is there any way algorithm can detect data transparency and rate the integrity of the algorithmic decision itself sort of like a disclaimer can we embed that into each of these you know technical foundation of the algorithm the computing uh, you know fundamentals that the algorithm itself evaluates what kind of data 
they are you know evaluating and what is the integrity of the data that you know the ai itself you know rates and then sort of you know when they give the decision it gives like that our decision was based on uh, the level level 5 or level 4 of you know the data that was fed to us is that it is is it possible to do something like that oh i, I totally think that's the direction it's got to go but for that to work you have to have coherent foundations which is really ethics right what what is an appropriate use of information or knowledge and what when does something become manipulation and when is it just enhancing somebody's life and i think we struggle with that already today uh you know you read uh, people that do marketing uh, marketing can be viewed as persuasion that helps somebody understand a product that's going to improve their life or it can be viewed as manipulation to get somebody to buy something that they don't really want or need and so there's a fine line there and it's really ethics that tells you when is this something that's beneficial and when is it something that's manipulative and i think that shows up with almost every one of these technologies that you mentioned that they're all double edged swords they can all be used to enhance the life of individuals or they can be used to um manipulate the life of individuals and it's going to be a challenge to once we, and i think once we have clarity about what is good and what is not good then we can build technological solutions that help ensure that and the idea that you were just suggesting of having ai systems that monitor these other systems for are they really reflecting the ethical values that we want them to i think that's that's a, a very important and positive uh, possibility yeah because see i mean as humans when we read you know the news sources or when we read you know uh, do research we always look at you know what what is the the source what who is writing that you know whether it's credible whether you know there is any integrity in the uh, information that is being shared so when we are trying to create this you know computational intelligence machine intelligence we want to make sure that they have the capability of differentiating whether the data that they are you know looking at or the, the information that they are looking at that whether there is any credibility or whether it's a good source so maybe we should you know integrate all these fundamentals now only so that we can build on that and then we can create a computational intelligence machine intelligence that is credible that can think for itself that where what data that they are using what data they should not use so even though all these data could be fed to them they should be able to get rid of some of the data thinking that i mean they should be able to take decision that this data is not credible let's not look you know take that into consideration when we come up with this decision i think that if we are able to embed all that in the technology foundation i think that would create a much more credible accountable you know and uh, uh, ai you know intelligence system that we can probably trust i hope that you know we are able to go that path but where do you see these ai decision making benefits the most and as we see that i mean we have gone through this outsourcing you know phase where lot of business processes were outsourced to you know near shore or you know offshore so that you know they save some money it was more cost effective to do some things in you know india china or you know some things to mexico or philippines uh, or you know any other country so the decisions were made looking at the cost now uh, is the cost that is still uh, you know driver here when uh, decision makers uh, are taking decisions that whether we should uh, uh, you know algorithmize you know all these processes or whether we should automate all these processes where where do you 
see the trend. What are the drivers of it? Well, I mean, in the United States, uh, corporations by law are profit maximizing entities. And if a corporation starts devoting too many resources to something that's not creating profit, then the shareholders can sue them. And so in some sense, a corporation is driven by profit. On the other hand, if there is public uh, reaction or response, um, that can also uh, guide the sort of behavior of a company. If a company is viewed as manipulative or unethical, people may boycott them or not use them. And so there's a little bit of a social feedback there as well. Um, and, uh, you know, social media right now is in a huge struggle over fake news, you know, what's really true and what's not. And AI is going to uh, contribute to both sides of that debate. There's something called deep fakes. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a, a free piece of software that somebody put out on the web for free that lets you take anybody's face and insert them into a movie, some other movie, so that they appear to be doing whatever's in the movie. And so they were taking uh, Nicolas Cage, the actor, they made Nicolas Cage be James Bond, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, it's exciting and it's fun, but the potential is quite dangerous. You could have, you know, uh, Donald Trump saying, we're gonna bomb North Korea tomorrow and have a very realistic looking video of that. And you don't know that whether that's real or whether it's fake. Yeah. On the other hand, AI can also be used to detect those kinds of fakes. So we sort of have, that's an, another example of an arms race of creating fake images, fake video, fake audio, and on the other hand, detecting fake images, fake video, fake audio. And uh, just, you know, having a ground level truth of what actually is true is going to be more and more of a challenge as we go forward, I think. Uh, yeah, we will need to. I mean, but how will the AI be able to ensure that the mechanisms uh, or how do we as humans ensure that, that there are mechanisms in place for AI to detect and address any such mistakes that you just described or un unintended consequences of the decisions made? Because there is so much genuine looking, you know, information out there, which is, you know, totally false or, you know, uh, fake and uh, the situation that you just described you know of a scenario like that where you know there is a video emerging that says you know we are going to bomb north korea and if it's a fake video but if you know there is a global panic happening because of that you know so so many such a, a domino impact that can happen you know and so much con unintended consequences can emerge so how can we ensure that there are mechanisms in place for ai algorithms you know to be able to detect such things and uh, it actually you know helps human decision makers it helps human intelligence to tell them not to to give them the timely information that this is fake and you should not uh, take that into consideration because in the coming years we won't have that much time right now you know we still then don't have everything automated but as automation you know increases then we may not have that much time for us to be able to wait and, you know, evaluate whether there is, you know, genuine, uh, you know, news or whether this information is genuine or whether it's credible. We may have to, you know, take decisions in a matter of seconds and we won't have that kind of time. So how do we ensure that we put together all those mechanisms in place to detect and address any such mistakes or unintended consequences? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a huge challenge. I mean, already social media is being used to spread information. I mean, there was a terrible uh, set of stories in Myanmar that rumors that certain people were kidnapping children were spreading. And crowds would see these rumors on social media, and they would spread it to their friends, and they would go and they, they killed a number of people who were suspected of being these child kidnappers. And in retrospect, it looks like it was just a, a made-up story. It wasn't real. And so that is a, a huge, huge uh, issue and problem. I know uh, people at Facebook and Twitter are, are working steadily, hiring people to try and determine what's true or not. And I think the point you just made that the speed of this is going to get faster and faster, particularly as it gets automated. Both the creation of fake fake news and the detection of fake news will be automated systems. And the pace of conflict is going to probably become much more rapid because there won't necessarily be people involved. It'll be automated systems who are kind of battling one another. And uh, it's it's probably going to be a messy, a messy situation for a while, I think. Yes, I, I believe so. So as, as you see this... Uh... AI, you know, developments, AI algorithms development, AI decision making that is, uh, you know, being implemented and accepted uh, by the decision makers across nations, government, industries, organizations and academia. As you see all these, you know, dramatic changes, rapid, you know, developments, what concerns you have about how AI is developing or being accepted? So if you buy my story that there are sort of three phases, I think each phase has its benefits and its risks. And so in the business phase, the, um, the, the benefits are much more efficient companies uh, that actually serve their customers better. So that could be wonderful. Um, much higher profits because they're able to do things more efficiently. On the risk side, uh, a lot of uh, human employees may be fired. So like a lot of fast food restaurants now are installing automated uh, kiosks where you type in your order so they don't need cashiers anymore. Uh, more and more supermarkets have um, lines where it's sort of self-checkout, where there's sort of automated systems for that. And Amazon actually has a, a whole store with no people in it. You just go in and you just take whatever you want and it uses face recognition and recognition of what objects you've taken to uh, create your bill for you and charge you automatically. And so that could be very efficient and wonderful and yet maybe there'll be a bunch of people thrown out of work. So that, that's a risk. The next phase, the automated, uh, the, the AI warfare, AI uh, military, um, the benefit there is maybe you won't need human soldiers anymore. Maybe uh, it'll be our robots against their robots and no, maybe no people have to die. So that potentially could be a lot safer situation. Uh, and maybe human emotion won't be involved in uh, negotiation. And so maybe it'll be more stable, less likely to flare up. On the other hand, you could have, you know, swarms of drones flying into a city and assassinating people. And we don't really have very good defenses for that today. And so, you know, there again, there's the two sides there. And then finally, AI society, when uh, all of governance is uh, involving uh, automated systems, that could make uh, the effectiveness of societal decisions way, way better. And yet it could lead to a kind of manipulation, a kind of oppressiveness where the citizens no longer feel alive and thriving. And so each of those three phases, I think, will require us to really clarify what are our deepest values? What do we really care about? And how do we make sure that these automated systems have those built deeply into them? Very true, very true. No, these are very complex challenges. And as we go forward, 
uh, we will have to uh, make sure that humans play an effective role in making sure that the machine intelligence that we are trying to you know develop uh, that you know we are also focusing on human intelligence so that we are able to keep up with the machine intelligence that we are developing and that we are able to have some sort of control and and we should not just you know focus entirely on developing machine intelligence ai intelligence we should also put some efforts in developing human intelligence because uh, we don't want to reach a point where you know human uh, intelligence cannot keep up with the machine intelligence now having said that what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners especially about especially to the young passionate you know people with you know so much passion that they want to solve so many complex problems you know facing humanity facing their nations what would you like to tell them and also you know what would you like to share about your forthcoming books i believe you know i read somewhere that some of your books are coming out too Yeah so um, I totally agree with you that we should not think of these AI systems as isolated things that are sort of entities on their own rather I believe we should be building them for the benefit of humanity and that every decision we make should be does this improve uh, human lives or not and that uh, we should solely and we should really focus on creating a better world for for humanity and that we should think of um collaborations between AIs and humans you know already today a, a human with a cell phone is a different creature than a human without a cell phone um you know a human with a cell phone knows exactly the geography and can get to any place you know because we've got maps on there human with a cell phone can look up any any piece of knowledge that's uh, you know available anywhere in the world so it's a much more powerful creature uh and i think that future ai systems will empower future humans to make much better decisions to have much greater awareness to the human can offload things that maybe they're not so concerned about uh, to the ai system while focusing on the parts that maybe they care a lot about maybe creativity compassion love connection all of those things which are much more our, our sort of human basis the ai can help us focus more on the things that we care about so for instance i'm really happy if assembly line robots get rid of assembly line jobs for humans i think that's probably a good thing because i don't think assembly line jobs for humans is a very uplifting or human positive kind of work maybe some people enjoy it but for the most part it's very repetitive and it's harm hurts a person's body so yeah let's let the robots do that but the con the, the other side of that is we have to make sure that humans feel fulfilled and integrated and in doing things that are meaningful to them and so i think part of our challenge will be guiding this combination of very very powerful new technologies and with the potential to transform the earth into a kind of utopia that should be our goal and i think for young people um that there's amazing potential to have a huge huge impact on uh probably greater than any other time in human history a single individual with a with the right idea can uh alter the the future of humanity uh to make things better for everyone in a way that was never possible before so it's just an amazing time i think to be especially to be a young person at this time yes absolutely i agree with you there it's an amazing time and they can uh make so much difference you know their lives and their ideas and their initiatives and what they work on will have such a huge impact for the you know future of the humanity so and as the use of automated ai based decision making techniques raises challenges for humanity as a whole as the you know right to life and the right to fair trial the presumption of innocence or the right to privacy and freedom of expression 
and we see workers' rights or the right to free elections and the very rule of law when it is at risk because of this automated AI-based decision-making, there is so much that these you know, young people can do that they can uh, make sure that they work towards making sure that, that we develop algorithms that are fair and they're objective and that there is no bias you know, emerging. So they can get involved in so many different phases you know, to make sure that you know, either they write the code that you know, is fair and objective or they you know, get involved in creating you know, society, uh, institutions that uh, monitors or governs or you know ensures that there is integrity and there is accountability in this algorithmic decision making that we are so uh, you know rapidly moving towards so there is a lot you are right that you know young people can do so thank you so much steve for participating in risk roundup today we appreciate your thoughtful insight on the much needed thought leadership on ai based decision making and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the need for new technical foundation and need for next generation of computing for the future of humanity. So even if a single individual or entity can join in the efforts to create a fair and balanced objective algorithm for the decision-making based on the understanding they receive from the discussion we had today, this risk round of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you. Wonderful, so risk roundup, a Global initiative launched by Risk Group is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together for more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.